Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. You probably heard of the SETI project, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, which is passively studying the radio waves coming in from the universe and trying to see if there might be somebody out there sending a message to us. Of course, the premise of that is that there's somebody out there sending a message, which led a bunch of scientists many years ago, in fact, in the 70s, to think, well, gosh, what if somebody out there is looking for life just like we are? Somebody needs to be sending a message, and that would be us. So they started a broadcast from the Arecibo Radio Telescope in Puerto Rico. It had 1,679 bits arranged into 73 lines of 23 characters, very primitive ones in zero binary code, but it could be decoded potentially by somebody who understood into a stick figure of a person and representations of our solar system, DNA, and of the telescope itself. Flash forward to today, and scientists are updating the message. They're calling it the Beacon in the Galaxy message, or BITGA. It has more information about basic mathematics and science, and again, the premise is that intelligent life somewhere else will receive the message, decode it, and say, oh gosh, there's people out there, or things out there, or octopi out there, just like us. The updated message will also include cosmic landmarks in order to give them a map, essentially, to indicate the location of the Earth within the Milky Way galaxy. So if they want to come find us, aside from simply homing in on the transmission, they'll be able to. But I know what you're thinking. Is this a good idea? Well, you're not alone. In 2015, famed physicist Stephen Hawking raised the question at an event where he said, If you look at history, contact between humans and less intelligent organisms have often been disastrous from their point of view, and encounters between civilizations with advanced versus primitive technologies have gone badly for the less advanced. In other words, a highly intelligent alien civilization that does discover us, he says, may not see us as any more valuable than we see bacteria. And of course, the effort for colonization might begin, accompanied by the sweet roadmap that we sent them. That's my theory, not his. In fact, in 2016, Hawking returned to the same theme in talking about the exoplanet Gliese 832c, which is a potentially inhabitable world, and he says one day we might receive a signal back from a planet like this one, but we should be wary of answering. Others involved in the Bitka project are saying that, look, uh, we understand there is a risk, certainly, of contacting an alien civilization that either has evil intentions or is simply dangerous for other reasons, but the risks are outweighed by the potential benefits of making contact with them, and as long as we're sending out a clear signal of peace first, throughout, and afterwards, they won't be afraid of us, and they'll know that we don't need to be afraid of them. For my part, I side with Stephen Hawking and the vast experience of science fiction in books, TV, and movies— which teaches me that I should basically assume it's going to be Ming the Merciless. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. How peaceful it looks. So no, I don't favor broadcasting our location until we have just a little bit more capability to defend ourselves in case we stumble upon the wrong alien civilization. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, announced today a new set of fuel efficiency standards that require an average of 49 miles per gallon 
for all new cars by 2026, just four years from now. The new standards include increasing fuel efficiency by 8% in 2024 and 2025 and then 10% in 2026. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says the increased standards will save Americans money, make the U.S. less vulnerable to global changes in oil prices, and reduce emissions and pollution. And it essentially reverses the rollback of mileage standard requirements put in under the Trump administration. And it certainly comes as welcome news to people who are concerned about greenhouse gas emissions or other forms of pollution and provides the stick side of the carrot and stick philosophy to requiring companies to improve their gasoline efficiency. Already, companies have been putting in all kinds of innovations as they try to improve marginally the output of a car per gallon. This has led to new innovations like gasoline direct fuel injection, turbocharged engines, and systems that stop and start the engine instead of idling it unnecessarily. But even there, we see there might be trade-offs. Drivers might find the stop-start annoying, or they might go to punch the gas and find that they have to wait for the turbo to kick in. There is also another view of this, because at first glance, 49 sounds awesome. I mean, if you could get 49 miles to the gallon out of any vehicle you're driving on the road, that would be fantastic compared to today's standards. But the more jaded take on this is that it's actually an effort to make it impossible. Essentially to say that the only car you're going to be able to have on the road will be a motorcycle. And if you don't like it, go electric. All I know is that 49 miles to the gallon will be about twice what I get in my car right now. And if it's available, I'll take it. And finally, from the How Not to Do an April Fool's Day prank file, a British beer subscription company called Succinctly Beer Company sent out notices to thousands, perhaps, of people notifying them that they had won a pretty sweet gift, a free package of beer every month for the rest of their lives. Not too shabby, right? What happened when all of the different people who received this message tried to sign up for it is they were led through a series of instructions that eventually wound up telling them they had just signed up for a monthly subscription service costing about $30 a month, which they most definitely did not intend to sign up for. Different people tell Newsweek they tried to cancel, they tried to get an account, they tried to contact the company, all to no avail. Then they went on Twitter and find out, oh lord, everyone else has fallen prey to this same thing. The promotional code sent out in the email by Beer Company said Slooflerpa, or April Fool's Backwards, which I guess was their way of being funny. Here's what makes it all the worse. The company actually does give people free Beer for Life awards once a year. It's called their Black Card winner, and everybody who signs up for the service gets automatically entered into that contest. So people who tried to verify you know, surrounding facts around the fake promotion came up with all the positive indicators. Oh, this is a real thing they do. Oh, maybe they haven't done it this year. Okay, obviously they must have picked me. <laughs> Not so fast. With all the uproar online, the beer company sent out a follow-up statement, unfunnily entitled Update Slooflerpa. It said, congratulations to everyone that used the Slooflerpa code. You have cunningly deduced that Slooflerpa is April Fool's backwards. You will all receive a free first month of Beer Club, absolutely free, well done. They went on to say then, our accountants are going bananas. It's going to cost us lots of pounds to fulfill this promise. And, of course, you can opt out. Uh, <laughs> at this point, I think if you fell prey to the Slooflerpa challenge... You're probably not interested in receiving anything, and how often do you find people so disgruntled they don't even want an eight-pack of free beer from a company to make up for a gaffe? Myself, as a big advocate of every year doing a fake news story on April 1st, there are none in this podcast, by the way. I don't take away from this the importance of never doing them if you're a company. I just think you got to make sure that if you are a corporate entity, you're going to do an April Fool's Day gag of some kind. You got to make sure that you think about the possible consequences if it goes sideways, and you got to make sure the people you hire to do it actually have a sense of humor. That's important. 
That's it for the Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And please consider subscribing to the digital or print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. Go ahead and hit that five-star rating while you're here and let me know that you like what we're doing. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.